I would say to him now, I thank you that yeah. God gave you as my father because I needed a man like you. Thank you for being what I needed because I still call on some of your strengths now in my life at this stage. Hi everyone, this is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. Well, thanks everybody for listening in and tuning in to Bear Crawl with Dads. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, I'm very, very, really honored and excited to have a very special guest on Bear Crawl with Dads. And I want to introduce the audience to my dad. Hey, dad. Well, good morning to you. Well, it's good to hear your voice. And the fact that we had to work out a lot of technical difficulties to get us to this point. I wish the audience... By the way, those are listening, the reason he said working in technical difficulties with me, because I don't even understand a one-wheel wheelbarrow. <laughs> well, I wish the audience would know like how long it actually took us to get to this point. So the fact that we're actually having this is a miracle in itself. So thank you for your patience, Dad, for making this happen. But I thought it would just be so neat for us to be able to just... Uh, the chat. And since, as you know, with Bear Crawl for Dads, the whole point is really just to encourage all the dads out there that are listening, whether they're empty nesters, you know, grandparents have been there, done that a little bit, or our current dads out there, or those that are starting on their journey as a dad. So, you know, my prayer and hope is through our conversation today and getting some insight from you that we, uh, this may be a blessing and encourage some dads out there. Well, we're thankful. Ross, for you more than you can ever imagine. And thank you for seeing this need because it is a need in today's world. Well, absolutely. Well, thank you for being a part of this. So this is definitely a, a very special edition for me. And I'm, I'm excited in a lot of ways, obviously, being that I'm getting to interview my dad, but also too, to maybe there's going to be some things that I don't know about you or that you're going to reveal. And just be careful because mom will be listening to this at some point. So I just want to clarify that. So dad, let's start off just with you and, and your dad. What was your dad like? And what was your relationship with your dad? Tell us a little bit about Granddaddy Party. I am honored to do so. I really, and my other two brothers agree that we had the dad we needed. And knowing us, you, the three of us boys and me, it is important to know something about our father. He was raised in a very poor situation as far as economically in the hills of North Georgia. He was born in 1903. He was the eighth child of 11. He had very few opportunities. It's interesting to note the best my brothers have been able to find out was that the schools that they had up at that time 
around the Cornelia Alto, Georgia area in the rural areas, the schools didn't go past the third to fourth or fifth grade. That was it. Because the kids had to go out and work? That was just, they didn't go through grammar school. They didn't have a junior high, didn't have a high school. It didn't exist. Wow. And one of the reasons was that was the economics of that area and all the children had to work on his father farmed. And from what I understand, some years successfully, some not. But he had a a childhood that he had to work early and he was an amateur boxer. He began to obviously find jobs around that area. One of the first jobs he had, he was on a train and the train was going over a large gorge and all the tracks fell. Various cars of the train fell under except his car. Wow. And we have a picture of that. forgot about that. that. We have a picture of that. So we are blessed that he were survived and he was not hurt. Wow. Almost early in his life, he began to wonder what was he going to do, and he found a job that was really significant for him with the South Carolina Power Company at the generating plant, which was on the Georgia side, believe it or not, near Augusta, Georgia, on the Augusta, Georgia side. And while he was there, he met mother. In Augusta. In Augusta. Right. They decided that they were in love and they eloped. Eloped? Yeah. In 1934, they were married. How old were they when they got married? Do you know? Yeah, Daddy was, I do remember, Daddy was 32 and Mother was 22. What? <laughs> no, no, Daddy was 33 and yeah. Mother was 22. Robin the cradle, Granddad. Yeah, that's wow. right. I'm glad he did. So he worked for South Carolina Power, but they actually he was actually working physically in Augusta, Georgia. Oh, that right. No, in the northern part of Augusta. Okay. And so how, where did he meet her mother? I don't know. But it was, we think, but we aren't sure, through a friend of his that worked at the power company. Okay. Okay. So a 33-year-old and a 22-year-old. So then they eloped. A little bit after that, a few years later. He got a job with the Georgia Power Company, and they moved over south of Macon, the Dublin area. And I was born in 1938. They were married in 36, and I was born in 38. So Georgia Power brought him to Macon. That's right. He was hired by Georgia Power in substation maintenance. Okay. Then they're in Macon, Georgia. Okay. And so then you were the oldest, the eldest, the brightest. I'm kidding. That's not true. You look at my (laughs) grace. The oldest of three boys were all born there in Macon. We were born in Macon. And one of the things that when I said he was the best father that we boys could ever have, he knew how to discipline us. And 
I kid people saying that the reason I have a leather bottom is because he made sure that I would I behave. You got that hard, honey. What was your relationship like with your dad? You specifically, not necessarily Uncle Mike or Uncle Gary, but what was your relationship like with him? Daddy believed very strongly that mother should not work. Georgia Power was a good job. The pay was good, but it was basically we would call minimum type wages. And he was determined that mother would not work, but to take care of me. And so during that time, the power company had him working in substation maintenance in the largest geographical area that they had substations. Okay. So he generally was not there for me. It changed later with my brothers when I was growing up till about the early teen years. So I would see him generally on the weekends. Sometimes he would be there during the week, but mostly he was traveling. When he came home, that was the joy of my life. What were things that you enjoyed doing together? What were any family traditions, any special father son watching the making peaches? What were some of your highlights of, of time with your dad? The highlights of time were being with him there in the home. We did not have a lot of resources to do a lot of other things, but periodically he would take me and the brothers later, but me to the, see the making peaches. That was the baseball team. And baseball was big at that time in relatively small towns. And also to Mercer University basketball games. Right. Mercer was in our time. And he that also continued with the brothers. But he would play with us outside and help us make things. Mike inherited all the ability to make stuff. And daddy for daddy had to help me make whatever I made. <laughs> what did your dad, did he, I know he worked a lot. So I, I, I know to provide for the family. And you mentioned he boxed. Was he boxing till when you came no. into the picture? No, he would do things around the house. We'd raise chickens in the back. We, he enjoyed running with me yeah. up and down our street. So he was athletic. I mean, was that, was yeah. that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Physically, he was very strong. He had to with the type of work he did. Yeah. Very strong. Well, I feel like you mentioned granddaddy being a boxer. And I just, as you know, I'm recovering from a deviated septum procedure yesterday. And they described the feeling of me having, having my, my nose being punched. So I feel maybe I'm relating to granddad a little bit right now with the boxing and having my, my nose pain. So no. Relating maybe a little bit to granddad from a punch. Don't sneeze right. Right, exactly, exactly. So one, one of the things that is important to know, I think, and that was important for me to know later on, during my early years, because of his work, and it was strenuous work, I had a different situation in faith than my brothers in the sense that in my earlier life, we would go to church periodically, but not often. But daddy's faith, and he came to know Christ in Augusta. I knew something was there, but I didn't know exactly what it was. Later on, 
when I wrestled with faith, he, in a very quiet way, he was soft-spoken, but sternly spoken and deep in thought, helped me along with mother. And I never knew my grandfathers, but we adopted the man across the street, Daddy Coleman, and he helped me to come to faith at 13 when I was really struggling with that. So I remember that. He was not there, didn't know much, but I could see a situation even in those earlier years where there was quiet faith, especially with the traumas he went through. So you're saying your journey to, of your faith in Christ was because of granddad's? Of, of what I observed in granddaddy okay. and, and my daddy and mother, but daddy, but from a different perspective that maybe many of your listeners have experienced. And that was not a bunch of talk, not a much attending church early, but did mention it, did talk about it, did pray. And then later on that changed because of some things I'll mention later. So what jumps out at you as far as best advice or when you, when you reflect on your relationship with your dad and those times that you had together, what do you take away from him? Either what he told you, advice, or maybe just the way he interacted with you, or what some of the best advice you, your dad gave or, or life lessons, if you will. I think the one that sticks out in my mind, he did have many hardships. As you know, he was almost totally burned in the underground explosion. And, but of his deep commitment and love for mother through good times and hardships. And the best advice I remember was on two occasions before the explosion, uh, uh, there was another hardship he had in life. And he wanted to, because he thought he was going to die. And he prayed that he would live until we boys could take care of ourselves. And he told me after that, I did not know that part until about five years ago. But during that time, I was aware of that struggle. And it was a health struggle. He said to whatever I do, you love your mother. And if you marry, you love your wife. Mm -hmm. The other things I think, he taught us was besides really respect for mother. And I remember one time that he got upset when I spoke disrespectfully to mother and he really bore down on me in discipline. It was to earn a living, to work hard, and it's still with me today to be on time. It drives me crazy if I'm not on time. And the thing that he could not stand, he did not have an education between the points of time I told you was, he called me Tommy. Tommy, don't you ever lie. I've had a one or two disciplinary actions on me when I did. I guess his faith became real when we started wrestling with it. And he said to me, don't, when I finally, at 13, he said, don't pretend. Make sure your faith is real. 
And when you were going through your spiritual journey, he told you to make sure it's real. Yep. Don't pretend. <laughs> His words, again, were quiet, few words, and commitment, he said, to whomever I marry. He said, in the future times, when you have children, love not only your mother, and we did have uh, two other brothers later, but also when we, Jan and I were married, he told me in his quiet tone the same thing. Whatever you do, you love Jan with all your heart. And you have. You have honored your dad well. I'm honored that God granted my prayers when I was over many years wanting to be married and was not married. And God granted it. Well, you know, that's the story of my life. Well, before we move on to you as a dad, well, kind of like three chapters here with you, obviously honoring your dad, talking about, you know, granddaddy, some of those things that he passed on. But how did you see him? It sounds like if I'm right, correct me if I'm wrong, a man of action, not necessarily words, right? It's more what he did, maybe. Did you see him, how he served others or how he loved on your mom? Any Anything that sticks out that you saw? Oh, yeah. Up? I told you the family he was raised in was poor. He did have a job. And my brother said mother showed him after daddy died. She was not aware of receipts where he had mailed monies to his brothers and sisters that were in need. Over the years, for many years before they were married, he did that. The second thing was, you got to understand, he was raised, and I was raised in the years of segregation very strongly. That was the way of life. And daddy, even though that was, daddy never showed disrespect to blacks, but there was the belief in the family and in the school of segregation. It was the right, etc. But I never was, he was continually upset and did help one of the employees that had the low paid, lowest paid job in his work area was a black who had a college education. The only one in that level or the next level or the next level. And I remember several times he assisted him that mother told me about. The other thing he would do, we had in our neighborhood a daddy and mother, but daddy would pay attention to those that were physically or mentally challenged children that I remember. Mm. And he also was helped help behind the scenes. My mother's mother, her husband, my grandfather had died many years before. He was much older than she was. And how he helped her in not only physical things, because he was a worker. He would take time off to go over and do things at her house. And for my Aunt Carolyn that had certain needs at one particular time. So definitely a, a, a man of action, 
blessing, serving, loving others quietly or or it sounds like he really i mean and not a show become a show right but having his time loving those that didn't look like him or thought like him what a tribute of a selfless love what a great example for you it was and and still is sure now transitioning to you becoming a father what was that like initially when you had your first? Just what what were those feelings like to have your first child? And how old were you? And what was going on with you and your career and stage of life when you had your first child? Honestly, when your mother and I realized that she was pregnant, I was so thankful because we both deeply wanted children. It was an unreal feeling. Yes. We wanted one, but I couldn't believe it finally was coming true. We lived in Galveston. Mm. I was with the Chamber of Commerce at that time. I was assistant manager. Later on, I became president and CEO. When we left Galveston, we were thrilled. And then when we brought her home and to hold Jill, made reality of what we wanted. The holding meant so much. And that's why I like to periodically hold your son when he'll let me. <laughs> because it, you see, but you want to hold. Right. And it makes that a real situation. It's just a refreshment. And then how can I be the father that she needs? I want to be. But knowing me, I'm going to really make a lot of mistakes. But hopefully, the mistakes would be overcome by love. So was it was a feeling like just holding Jill for the first time? Were you just like, not only is this is real, but did you have feelings of being overwhelmed? Who am I to have this human in my arms? It's a it's a game changer, though. Well, the thing that hit me then, and it keeps hitting me there, hitting me now, is, and periodically, I just told uh, about three weeks ago, a person that's fixing to have their child, when Jan and I took a, when I took a, a present over for a shower to their house, I told them, I said, you know, this child did not ask to be born, so how can you help it to be what it should be? And that's what was on my mind. Jill did not ask. Melissa did not ask. You did not ask to be born. How can I provide the needs you all have to be who God created you to be? How did that put pressure on you just as a father of supporting a family? What was that like? Did you feel the pressure? How'd you manage that? Yes, I felt pressure sometimes, but I did not feel pressure all the time because, honestly, God answered my prayer many years ago to give me a mother to them that he did. I'm getting a little emotional here. Your mother, your listeners, this Jan, had the ability to know how to deal with me when I was feeling pressure, when I was getting too far in one direction, uh, and she did. 
and she continues to do so now in in these eighty five plus years or eighty four plus years. Yeah, and in fact, this past week that happened. The CEO, the head of the Chamber of Commerce in New Orleans, get a lot of pressure, a lot of politics. How how did you keep work at work and not coming into the home and feeling present with us? Was that hard? Did you do that well? How did you cut that off, letting the stress of work not dip into the home, or, or did you? Factually, I did let it get in the home sometimes. And I'm not saying this. Everybody has pressure in their work. <clears throat> the type of work that I was dealing with at that time because of what was happening in New Orleans region, because our chamber was not only the Chamber of Commerce for New Orleans, but of three other counties, as many people would know. And that that doesn't exist anymore, and it did not exist anywhere else in the United States. So you had to deal with different issues in the rural, small town, big town areas, and politics was a way of life. And the politics in New Orleans, full-time entertainment right. and way of life. And so in economic development because of that, trying to get people interested to come and invest and create jobs in that region was a challenge. And because of that, several other things, I was gone a lot during the week. And that's why I'm so thankful for mother. I did take the home office uh, sometimes, and she helped me to, hey, wake up, uh, face the reality of things we have to do at the house. And after a few hours or a few minutes, I was able to adjust because of of your mother's help. And, yep. that, I, and that's the truth. It's hard, right? I think for anybody, whatever line of work you are, to keep work at work and to really be present when you're home. Because like you said a minute ago, no child was asked to come to this world. So no child asked to have a mom or dad come from work and put that pressure on them. You know, it's not, that's not fair nor their fault, right? So exactly. I was just curious, you know, if that was... Because I know that position can be highly, highly, highly stressful. And, you know, how do you really, how'd you cut that off? You know, and when you walked into the doors to the three of us and to try to be as present as possible, yeah. like your dad, I mean, you worked and provided, you worked and provided and you were there obviously every night. You didn't do a lot of, a lot of traveling or, and you were present for our, our games, you know, in all of our athletic games and. Always present. I was just going to say one of the things that meant so much to me was because of that, I had more freedom at certain stages of, of life. And the date nights are with you. It was, I wouldn't use the term date. The date nights I had with Melissa and Jill away from things where I was just with them to listen to them, to do what they wanted to do, to meant so much to me and hopefully them and to you. And I'm going to use the term date too. My, my time I had with you away from work, away from those cares. And I literally am thankful for those times we had together. 
I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I've mentioned that in several other shows too. I would encourage anybody that's that's listening that isn't doing some kind of intentional one-on-one time with your child, you know, whether it's a rite of passage, kind of like a bar mitzvah type of a thing or taking your child off on a weekend and doing something with that child. But for you, you know, to take each of us out where, okay, Friday night, Ross, it's your night, wherever you want to go eat, whatever you want to go do. And so that was something we got really, really excited about because you're like, man, I mean, we know our dad has this important position, but he's stopping everything for me. He wants to spend time with me. And, you know, I think that's, that's life-giving. It shows that I see worth, I see value in you. And, and so I think those intentional times were, were huge. So I do want to encourage, you know, those listeners out there to, to think about that. And I think it was neat too, you having two daughters and tell me if I'm wrong, but you were very intentional about opening the door for the girl, my sisters, as they got into the car or opening the door at the restaurant, pulling their seat back to show them that how a woman should be treated. And when they did go out to the dating world, that they shouldn't accept anything less. Some women today, girls, they may not want that, but sure, I feel like I believe strongly that a a woman is created, but God is just as created and open to anything as a man would be, but a man should show, not play acting again, using daddy's words, my father's word, but not play acting respect that they are creations to be honored. One of the things that also meant a lot was when we worship together as a family, just being together, worshiping, hopefully, and still in each one of you and in the grandchildren of the present, how the Holy God needs not only individual, but the community of believers to grow and to develop in and I've mentioned this too, you know, my, my granddaddy Ross, you know, there in Galveston, who, you know, former mayor, this big name as a uh, family practice, a medical doctor. And the fact that he took his time out, this kind of legend in Galveston to take his time out to, for us to go and grab Dairy Queen. I remember exactly, it's not there anymore, but we would just go something as simple as grabbing a soft cone ice cream with my granddad. You know, just how powerful and meaningful that was, you know, that always still resonates with me. It's not necessarily, I think it's the quality of time that you get with your children. I don't know about, I mean, I guess it would be perfect to have quantity and quality, but I think it's like to your point, when you come home from work to try to shut it off, because you only have X amount of hours before they need to go take a shower and go to bed. And obviously when you get into the high school, they can drive the car. It just gets harder and harder probably to get that. Now, I think one thing that I value too in our family was sitting around the dinner table. That was something that was, uh, we always had dinner together. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I got to thinking, which is unusual for me to think, that from a Christian standpoint, one of the meaningful things that we celebrate and that when Jesus had the communal meal the, the Last Supper, in a way there, and then when you see in other situations of getting together for meals, 
The mealtime is important because there's the seeing of each other, talking to each other, and the partaking of food helps that communal togetherness. Right. Well, I think there's if there's one time that's sake, you know, for families. Well, then that gets into the whole, you know, for those listeners who have a faith background, some may not. But, you know, Sundays used to be where you just don't do anything on Sundays. It's time to you pause during the week to rest, to be together as a family, maybe a place of worship. You know, so like you don't really have any sacred spaces anymore, it seems like, as, as for families. Because a child's off going to athletics all weekend. And, you know, families are chasing their kids' dreams, and which is important. But... There doesn't seem to be any any intentional sacred times in a family in the rhythm of a family's week. And one of that to me is dinner time. Like to me, that should be a sacred time because that's where you turn your phones off, you put them away, you have conversations, you're looking at each other in the eye, you know. And so I know that we were very faithful in doing that, and so that's something that's passed into my family. You know, my family that's our sacred time is is dinner where we're. And I think the kids really like that, you know? Ross, it's interesting you just mentioned. I know two of my friends that have no faith, and I, I, love, I love and respect them very much. They have found the need to do what we're just talking about. So to piggyback on that a little bit about, you know, carving out some intentional time for family, whether it's turning up the TV and having a game night on a Saturday or a movie night or, you know, Sunday, or we always have dinner together. Looking back, what was for you the greatest challenges that you had as a dad? Whether you can be honest about me, but I think Ross, it was the thing that I didn't always think about it, but many times it was, it hit me to always be aware again, what I said before that God gave you all to me and a mother. And that my challenge was to be, and I want to emphasize the words, to be what you all needed at the times you needed it. I missed some, yes. Maybe I hit some. And to my challenge was, what do I do or say to make sure they know that they are really loved the best way I know how to love? And to be the father that I was created to be, to help them to be who they can be on their own. I don't know the total answer to that, but I think, number one, I wanted y'all so much to know that I thought the key was hopefully not play act faith, even though I on occasion probably did but also to know of love for your mother. If you did not know I love mother, your mother, with all within me that I know how to, then you're not going to have the basis for love for the partner that God loves you, intends for you to marry. One takeaway, too, is that I felt like that, and now that I'll say now as a parent, I love your insight on this, and especially with relation to mom, but that obviously God was your first priority. Second was was mom. And then third was us. 
and that exactly. we and that we needed to know that I think children need to know and see that their parents love each other first and foremost above like the kids because I, I feel like I generally see sometimes where it's the children that dictate they wag the dog if you will one spouse is not getting initially what they need or but I think it's important for the kids to see oh my gosh mom and dad love each other they go on date nights they what whatever because not only do the parents need that but also too the children need to see that and the children need to see that in case they ever do marry somebody that they will have that as an example in this is helping them to somehow to be their own person not the father not the mother they had, not the father they had, but be themselves. Yeah. How did you develop that? I don't say I did. I said that you, your, your yeah. question, I think, was what's the greatest challenge? That is the, I thought, the greatest, the greatest challenge. challenge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As we shift towards to what you're seeing today, when as a parent do I step in? When do I step out? When do I, you know, because children need, the rite of passage is to move to a place of independence, to be a place to have resilience, to have grit, to learn from mistakes, to fight through challenges. So with that lens, did you struggle or how did you, you know, when do I step in and help or nope, he's going to have to, I see it coming, but they're going to have to make a mistake and they're going to have to learn from this. Was that? Hard for you, or even like two, even from a faith perspective, like ultimately, I want my children to come to a place where in our in our line of faith to accept Christ. Again, others may not have that, and that's fine. But to accept their own journey and their own faith. But I really want them to have that. But I can't force it. I can't make them because it's not real. It's not genuine. Again, my father, who I think was who we as boys I needed. Basically, because he financially couldn't do it, but basically in his own way, when I left home, he said, okay, you're old enough to be your own and take care of yourself. I knew he couldn't, so I, that could help some, and they did help some, but when you graduate from high school, you're on your own, basically, when you leave home. Now, some people do not go, and I think more and more people want to go to college, go to college, go to college, and that's I did. I worked my way through college, but not everybody now, and I didn't believe then ought to go to college. They make more money going to technical school than they can going to college, but whatever they go. I think about the age that they leave, it depends on the person, but once they leave home, they're on their own. Right. That's hard. But if you, if that's understanding, they have to be rather than continually not being their own person. But, but where the, yes. So leading up to that, you know, when they quote, when we graduated from high school, 18, you're an adult, but leading up to that, was there intentional for mom and you intentional scaling, like getting, getting us ready or having conversations or again, getting back to seeing, I don't need to step mom and dad don't need to step in on this one. They're about to make a mistake, but we don't need to step in and save them. They, they're going to have to figure this on their own. Was there, I don't think say it was a, 
one time, this is this on this day and then tomorrow. Sure. But there were times when, and you know this in your life where we made a mistake with you, but there was times when we needed to have you all ask questions rather and sometimes we didn't. Sometimes we barged in and shouldn't have, I would, I'm pretty sure. But for you to ask the questions and for us to be frank, but not telling you what to do. Yeah. But I don't want you to do what I say. You have to decide on your own. The youth today, so many of the youth today that I've come, we're thankful to have a chance to deal with college students and TSTC students, our technical college. It's just so important for them to grow up, to learn to make decisions and learning to make decisions. Hopefully, in our discussions, we have suggested avenues to do so. How do you show your love, like specifically to us as the kids? I think I, I think I know this, but for the audience, because I think it's interesting how dads, I'm not sure if it's the older generation versus this generation, but how did you show your love? You know, is it some, you know, it's through gifts, it's through time, it's through, I want to fix it. I want to fix, how can I, make, how can I fix it? Okay. I'm a, fi- I'm a yeah. fix it person. Okay. And, and, and t- sometimes I've been too strong in that. Okay. I just want to fix it and go on. Fix yeah. it. Right. And that, I guess that's because of two things. One, I had to do it in my life. But number two, thankfully, in the jobs I had, I had to produce. Now, you know that I had a rough time and we had a rough time when some of the people wanted to make some changes where of what I did. And we had a five years of of rough situations. Right. But I wanted to fix it. And it drove me crazy not to fix. Because you were at the mercy of others. Yes. Well, I wonder too, and I, I think it's, then this could be another topic for a later day, but I think sibling birth orders, I think are fascinating, you know, and the fact that you are the oldest of the two younger brothers. And they are spoiled. I'm the one that had a hard time. Right, My right. youngest is a baby. He got away with everything, all that kind of good stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. But with that, do you think that fixing also too came with that, being the oldest, being the one that had to be responsible for two little brothers? And I mean, did that? No. No. Uh, mother and daddy, my perception, I was not the overseer of the brothers. Okay. Again, mother, daddy chose not to have and mother not to work. So mother was at home most, and she was the one that, and then daddy, when he was able, when he came home, mother would take care of many things. But then when he would come from, and then when Mike and Gary were born, daddy was home more. So he was able to prison that area. No, they were cost mother, daddy didn't want her to work. Wanted her to take care of us. She did. So okay. I did I did not. Before we get your I want to get your thoughts on like what you're seeing today, you know, for the audience. You're very, very you and mom are very, very active. You live in Waco. So you guys are very active and a lot of with students to this day, very active and and like you said, 
whether it's Baylor students, TSTC students. So you still, you do have a pulse on what's happening, obviously in your, your community of faith, you are, you see all gamuts of ages and you've been active in your community of faith for a really long time to see what's happening. So before we, I want, I get your thoughts on kind of what are you seeing right now? Some of the biggest challenges are to, to dads specifically with, since we're bear crawling. Before we get into that, what would you tell your dad now after being a dad for so long? I would tell him this, and I did tell him this. Dad, I don't know how you handled the challenges of life that you had. Your physical labor, your tremendous health problem when the they didn't have the health care insurance that companies have today. I don't know how you and, and, and when I say he, I don't know how mother handled it either. And I don't know how you handled when you almost burned to death, you know, in an explosion, underground explosion of a transformer by the first shopping center in Macon, Georgia. I don't know how you handled it. Also, I don't know how you and mother, how y'all were able to make out our family financially because you were, y'all were married in 1936 and times were rougher than they are now in many instances financially. I don't know how you did it. Right. But I, I would say to him now, I thank you that God gave you as my father because I needed a man like you. Thank you for being what I needed because I still call on some of your strengths now in my life at this stage. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think there's something, you know, granddad's listening. I firmly believe that. I think there's something about a public affirmation you know, affirming, I think anybody needs to hear publicly words of affirmation, words of encouragement. And so thank you for doing that. Just a words to your, to your father. In that same vein, what would you tell yourself back when you first held Jill in your arms? Now, what you know, what would you tell yourself? I think, I may think more of the, you know, so often you think, you things you should have said and you didn't say, but right now in my mind, I think I would try the challenges. I would try to say the children, whether they are you and and my and your sisters or their children, is to know continually, fully, and analyze what we can be in every situation of life. And part of it is through prayer, but part of it is using the abilities that we have and to work through those to get it. And that's the challenge to use what we have. I'm concerned about our grandchildren and children in the future. And I think the challenges that they are facing today are really, really con confusing and strong probably in a way more than any past success possibly 
during some of the major struggles during the Crusades and during the uh, World War II, but current fathers. And how do you provide the proper listening and helpful ways without doing it for them to handle the current and future difficulties of life? Okay. And I think they are in their relationships to God with many people, challenging the existence of God, ways to even want him because so often the way we have behaved. Two, to seek to find, we have one grandson already married, but to seek to find if they choose to marry. Be careful to marry a person that they, as my father said, to they can really love. And three, to insist on their desire to continue learning all during life and to develop work healthy attitudes in whatever they chose to do. There's something in the area of work that so often people forget their benefit in struggling in work. And obviously, I would hope they do what they can to live a healthy life, to make sure they develop healthy mental attitudes, and that they begin to learn how to handle emotional and spiritual crises when they occur, but to start that learning process if it occurs. And be aware they're going to occur and to see in a very special way mercy and justice for others, regardless of where they stand in life, the poor, racially, et cetera, et cetera. We need justice and mercy to be shown by our attitude, my attitude. I had to correct myself recently on that. I'm concerned that they develop the mental spiritual, and healthy habits now that will help them when crises occur. And they can do that. That's good. Specifically, too, with what you're, the, with the dads that you're coming across in your various arenas, whether that's professors at the university or church, are you seeing, I know what, what you just talked about, are there any other struggles that you're seeing with dads specifically? In being a dad or signs of encouragement in light of what you just expressed about, you know, your concerns, you know, for the future generations? I I can only see what I see. And again, this may not be in the majority or may not be in reality. But with the older, I get together with a group from a cross section, not only in church, meet with the two others of Jewish faith, of no faith and others. I, th- I think there's a problem with many Christians only want to associate with themselves. Right. I try not to, because I don't think there's things we can learn from those segments, the others. Absolutely. And I see, a, generally speaking, a concern of the political mess in the world, not only in America, but on Europe, Iran, and probably Iran is one that the Dr. Tatum just recently at a lecture indicated we really need to keep our eye on their concern 
So there's a different type of concern that I'm experiencing than even before COVID. It's in the spiritual, it's in the physical, it's in the political arena. And some are seriously engaged in prayer for their children and grandchildren. And with one or two, they seem to throw up their hand and say, well, I just, I, I can't do anything else. And in a way, they can't. Right. If they have faith, they can pray. If they're asked for advice, fine. If not, sometimes it's just needed. We need to shut up. Any thoughts or things that you want to share with the audience before we wrap up as far as, you know, words of encouragement or yes, uh, to have a son like I have that I'm talking to now? Uh, well, you are, you are so dad and I'm realistic. Well, I tell you, it's, uh, you just, you mean more to me and, and obviously you have been such an incredible example to, to me and to my sisters and. You know, I think the biggest thing too is it's not necessarily what you say, but it's what you do. And I always tell people, you know, New Orleans being such a diverse community and you're with your job of, of coming across so many different backgrounds and ethnicities and walks of life, socioeconomic and how you have really, really and continue to love people so well, no matter race, religion, ethnicity, you truly are, in my eyes, are such a great example of Christ's love, of loving people for who they are, for where they are. And that's something that I aspire to be and to do, not only as Christ is our example, but also to how you have loved people and how you engage people in conversations and just asking questions. And you know, that's one of my prayers for, for not only Sydney, for, for my little just to I want them to love people for who they are and where they are. And so I can't thank you enough for your example and also your commitment to mom and how you love her like no other. Y'all truly are best friends. And, and so that's such an example to me. So I'm just blessed by you and been really wanting to, to have this opportunity to, to interview you and, and just to get more insight. And so it's been so much fun. Well, thank you. Well, Dad, thank you again for this. This has been a fun, fun conversation. And, and hopefully somebody out there listening can feel encouraged and that it's never too late where you are in life and as a dad to either make a phone call or send a text or just rekindle your role as a father or continue to, to fight the fight on being that dad out there because you are needed, you are wanted. And as we do this bear crawl together, we are all in it together. So dad, thanks for joining me. You Thank you. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From our brother C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Thank you.